Hey, find your Bible, if you would, or find your phone, find your iPad, find your smart device, and take a look over at Genesis chapter 12. We're going to uh, spend some time there. And in fact, we're going to be all over, but that'll get us started. Last week, we began a series called Jesus in Genesis, and the idea of this series is that Jesus is not just a New Testament figure. Jesus is not just arrive on the scene in Matthew and Luke. Jesus has been God's plan all along. From Genesis to Revelation, there's 66 books of the Bible, but they all speak to Jesus. Even the prophets of Old Testament, even the prophets of the Old Testament speak to Jesus. My, My goal, my hope, my prayer is that five weeks from now, after we finish with this series, you'll have a greater appreciation for God's story, uh, to us, God's story for us, and that story all finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now before I get into Genesis chapter 12, I understand there was a little bit of confusion last week, and let me just apologize to you guys um, as far as the confusion goes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then let it go over your head. If you do know what I'm talking about, then, and you were confused, that's not my intent. Um, there's anything I ever say, whether it's a Sunday school class, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's here from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, please, please, please come talk to me. Fair enough? All right. So let me talk to you about Jesus in Genesis. Last week we talked about God is sovereign, right? God is all-powerful. I think it's here on the screen. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And God is good. God is sovereign. Would everybody agree with that? That doesn't mean he determines everything in our life, right? There are things that happen in our broken world. There are times that we end up on a prayer list. There are times that we suffer. There are times that we go through pain. And nevertheless, God is good, right? God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's all-good. In fact, the Bible tells us that he works out even the bad things in our life for the greater good. Today we want to move past God is sovereign in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I want to offer to you another truth, and that is God is missional. What do I mean by God is missional? God is the first missionary. Let me think about that for a second. God is the first missionary. Jesus is asked in the New Testament, Mark, to be uh, precise. What's the greatest commandment? You remember this text, right? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus, tell us. The Pharisees were looking to trap Jesus, and Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That sounds like a very good Jewish answer, right? But it doesn't stop there. He says, Go on and love your neighbor. But Lord, who's my neighbor? The people that are different than me? Yeah, the people that are different you. Love your neighbor as yourself. We set out a couple of, uh, about a year and a half ago now here at Hillcrest to do as we believe God has called us to do, and that is love God, love people, and love by going. Some of you know that. Love by going. Not love by sitting. Some of us are pretty good about sitting. Love by going. Not love by listening. Some of us are pretty good about listening, but love by going. 
Love by singing in the car, right? I listen to the message. I listen to a good Christian radio station. I call myself a believer. No, that's not what it says. It says, love God, love people, and love by going. Love by going. Love by going. See, if we don't continue to remind each other of our task of loving by going, we become very internal focused, right? We look at each other. We pat each other on the back. We gather together, and we do certain things but it's not doing what God intends for us to do. I want to try to convince you from the scriptures today that God is the first missionary, that God is very missional. Let me begin this way. God created. God didn't have to create, would you agree? If God is all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, if God is all-good, then God doesn't need us. He's self-sufficient, and yet he chooses to create. He is a going God. He is a loving God. He's a missional God. And so, to begin with, he creates. We saw that last week in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But if you know your Bible, you know in chapter 3 everything goes south, right? It's what we call the fall of man. Everything goes awry in chapter 3 when this enemy of God, when Satan shows up and says, did God really say he creates doubt in our minds, right? They eat from the tree, whatever that fruit happened to be, and from then on they were banished from the garden, they were banished from the presence of God, and they were sent out with a lack of blessing, at least the blessing that they had experienced up until that time. And because of their sin, because of their choosing self over God, we see the effects as early as chapter 4 in Genesis. Remember what happens in chapter 4. Brothers, Cain and Abel, does that ring a bell? Right? One kills the other. You see the effects of sin. In chapter 5, we have this genealogy where it says, and at that time man began to call upon the name of the Lord, but we still sense there's some struggle going on. And it seems to me that if I was God, I would probably do away with all of you people. In fact, in chapter 6, the story of Noah, the text says, and at that point, every even thought was evil. Every inclination of man, everything within us was evil. And so God destroyed the world by the flood. We're good so far? chapter 6 through 9. In chapter 10, we have another genealogy that speaks to God's faithfulness, and it speaks to God working within people, as imperfect as they are. And in chapter 11, I guess you could say we reach the pinnacle of evil when it says they wanted to make a name for themselves. You hear the problem with that? The reason that Satan, the angel, is cast out of heaven, out of God's presence, is because he wanted to make a name for himself. Pride. The reason that Adam and Eve choose to eat the fruit of the tree is because they believe the lie of Satan, that they could be like God, and the consequences of that sin is they were banished from the presence of God. All the way in chapter 11, when you reach the pinnacle of evil, and it says they want to make a name for themselves, so they begin to create this large structure, this tower of Babel, and God says, we've got to go down and do something about this. 
And from that point on, he scatters people among the earth. But the message today is about God being on mission, right? God's a missionary God. So look what happens here in chapter 12. Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you already hear this missional kind of idea here in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3? I mean, we see it over and over again from Genesis chapter 3 up until this point. Man is evil. There's nothing good about him. And God continues to want relationship with mankind. In fact, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says we're created in God's image. Now, we here at Hillcrest believe in what we call the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This perichoresis, I've used that word before, it means a round community. We're Trinitarians in the sense that we believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet they are three in one. Hear, O Israel, it would say in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's a certain mystery around the Trinity, and yet because we're created in God's image, we need community, first and foremost with God, amen, and then with each other. Love your brother as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, God wouldn't ask us to do anything that he's not already done. You follow what I'm saying? And so as evil as mankind is, God begins in chapter 12, if you will, recreating what's going on, and he calls this man, Abram, out of a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, Right? He is a pagan. They worship the moon. They worship the stars. They're astronomers. They, they study the skies. And God calls this pagan family, and in fact, specifically, this pagan person named Abram, and he's going to recreate things through Abram. It's an amazing story. God is the first missionary. God is a God who goes. God is a God who creates. God is a God who goes. God is a God who attends. God wants relationship. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 tell us that God desired relationship so much with Adam and Eve that he walked in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. Despite the wickedness of man in chapter 6 of Genesis, he chose Noah, and he confided in Noah certain information that nobody else had, and Noah began to build this ark, and Noah and eight other, seven other individuals were saved because of Noah's communing with God and God communing with Noah. Here in chapter 3, we get seven promises, seven promises in the Hebrew where God says, I will, I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. There are seven different things in the Hebrew that God promises to Abram before Abraham is anybody. He's a Gentile. He's a pagan. He's nothing to offer, and God chooses relationship with Abraham. God is the first missionary. I suppose I could go on and say God chooses Isaac, right? 
God chooses Jacob. And what happens through the lineage of Abraham? We get this nation called Israel. And some of you know your Old Testament story well enough that you know the story of Israel. And what does Israel mean? He who struggles with God. Huh? Why would God choose a nation who struggles with him? Because God's a missionary God. Because God loves us despite who we are. You get that? Let me jump forward a couple of thousand years when Jesus is hanging on the cross and they've done everything they could do to Jesus, right? They whipped him 39 times. I know that because that's what Jewish law held to. You couldn't whip somebody 40 times. Catch the irony in that, right? But you could whip them 39 times. You put pieces of bone. You, you, you put pieces that would rock. You, 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 you fix this whip with things that would hurt the individual, and he was whipped 39 times. They spit on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They did everything short of killing him up to this point of what they could do. Eventually, they would kill him, of course. But the most gruesome persecution you could ever face, so much so that he was not able physically to carry his own crossbeam to the cross. And this God in the flesh, listen church, this God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, hangs on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. God is the first missionary. God is a missional God. God expects us to love as God loves. In Mark chapter 1, I believe the text is up here for you. Jesus Christ, of course, is on the scene by this time. This is red letter edition. And Jesus Christ has just heard that John the Baptist has been arrested, has been taken off to prison. And you all know the story of John the Baptist. Eventually he's killed because he calls people out on their own sin. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, it came to Galilee proclaiming the good news. That word proclaiming is kerygma, Right? Jesus is telling everybody about the good news. Jesus is a missionary. He's proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That's Mark chapter 1. Very early in the Gospel of Mark. Probably the oldest Gospel that we have. Proclaiming, repent, and believe. Right? In Luke, the next Gospel... Luke chapter 11, 19 and 20. Now if I cast out demons, this is a text where Jesus has been accused of casting out demons by Satan. And he's accused not by, the, by the, the Gentiles, not by the pagans, he's accused by the religious people. Any irony there? And in chapter 11, 19 and 20, Jesus says this. Now if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, that's Satan, by whom do you exercise or your exercise cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God, and that phrase, finger of God, goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes back to Deuteronomy and Exodus. The finger of God. What do we have here? 
we have this picture of Jesus saying, I am God. This is great evidence for the Trinity. Therefore, they will be your judges, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. In other words, you ought to pay attention to what I have to say. You, you ought to pay attention to what I'm doing. You ought to love the way I'm loving. You follow? Now, we looked at a text last week that I think will prove to you that Jesus, God, is a very missional God, is a very uh, person that's interested in, in missions. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 28. We saw this text last week, right? You're all familiar with it. It's what we call the Great Commission. The 11 disciples, right? We have 12 minus Judas, but the 11 disciples gather back in Galilee, kind of bookends of Jesus' ministry for three and a half years. It begins in Galilee. We just looked at Mark chapter 1. It ends in Galilee, right? And the 11 disciples meet with Jesus, and here's what he has to say. Right before, right before he's going to ascend back into heaven, you would think these are pretty important words, right? And they are. These are what called the Great Commission. This is what our marching orders are. It's not to sit. There's a time for sitting. It's not to pray. There's a time for praying. It's not to sing. There's a time for singing. Reflecting, it's not a time for... Re There's a time for reflecting, as Solomon would say. There's a time for all these things. But eventually, you've got to go. Jesus says it this way, now the eleven disciples, hang on just a second, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Why would they worship him? Because they valued him. They recognized who he was. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, not just the earth, not just this public ministry. We talked about this Wednesday night in our Bible study, some of you may remember it's not just this public ministry that I've been given authority for. It's because I am God in the flesh. I've been given authority not only in heaven, but also in the earth, right? So here's your marching orders. Go, therefore. Well, I thought that's what we paid the preacher for. I thought that's why we have a youth minister. No. No. Read Ephesians chapter 4. My, my role is to do as Paul says, I'm to equip the saints so the, the saints can go. Brendan is to equip the saints so the saints can go. Right? We are to equip each other so that we will go. Right? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. By the way, what's going to make you successful? Remember, I'm with you always. For all of days. For eternity. That's what's going to make you successful. But this idea that we have in the, ch in the church in the West of getting together on a Sunday, singing a few, a few songs, getting up, doing communion, uh, hearing a guy get up and talk, and doing nothing else about it but wringing our hands is not biblical. 
What does all this have to do with Genesis chapter 12? Did you notice what it said? Seven promises in the Hebrew of what God would do for Abraham. I will bless you. I will bless you. But first of all, I want you to go. What do you do? Go to the land I will show you. Yeah, but I want details, God. Well, I'm not going to give you details. All I want you to do is go. I want you to be obedient. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. There's going to be some really uncomfortable times. I just read a text that Paul tells to Timothy, and he says, fight the good fight. This is going to be a fight, Brendan. I know that because I've lived it. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? This spiritual thing, this is a fight. This is a struggle. This is not something that comes easy. Paul says, fight the good fight, because there is an actual enemy. There, is, there are people in our world that would try to convince you there is no enemy, that, that everything is good. You're just trying to believe some lies. But I, I'm here to tell you, there is a Satan. There is an enemy, and he wants to destroy you. And he wants to destroy entire churches. And he wants to destroy families. And he wants to destroy future generations. And all he tells us is, I want you to have enough faith so when I tell you to go to uncomfortable places, to places that you're not really sure of, that I'm there with you. Go to the land I will show you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. And then this interesting, did you catch the promise? I told you there's seven Hebrew promises. One of the most interesting promises there in Hebrew is what? Anybody? And all families will be blessed through you. Check me on that. That's chapter 12, verse 3. And all families will be blessed through you. What's he talking about? He's not talking about people from Ur the Chaldees. He's talking about Jews, and he's talking about what? The gospel for all people? Yeah, the gospel for all people, right? It's not just for Abram, it's for all people. Now, how are we going to get to all people? What's going to be this bridge from, from here to here? Somebody already said it. Mr. York, you're ahead of me. It's Jesus, right? He's the bridge that goes from all of mankind, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, back to God. God is a missional God. We talk about loving God, loving people. Those are pretty, I mean, they're not really easy to do, but I, I can kind of convince myself that I love God, especially when I come to church every Sunday or I, I take communion and I, I can put a smile on my face every once in a while and, and say I love people. It's that loving by going that I really struggle with. You? Yeah. You really struggle with it, right? But we've got to move this idea of God being a missional God and God expecting us to be missionaries from here to here. See, in the West, we've got this idea of missionaries is just me writing a check and sending it to Africa. Me writing a check and sending it to Ireland. Me writing a check and helping out a Slavic-speaking church on a Sunday afternoon. We have in our minds that missionaries are over there somewhere, and they're right here. 
in McKinney, Texas. They're right here in Anna, Texas. They're right here in St. Louis. They're right here among us, right? We are, do you know that other nations now send missionaries to the United States of America? They're starting to get it. We need to start to get it. We are missionaries. We are ones to tell the gospel. We are ones to tell the good news. Some of you have been studying Revelation. A couple of verses I want to share with you from Revelation. This kind of offers that book into you about Jesus, about God being a mission-minded God. First of all, remember the story about, or the account, I shouldn't say the story, the account of the church in Ephesus? You've been teaching the class, right? In chapter 2 and chapter 3, John is allowed to see this vision that's provided by Jesus, and he speaks to these seven churches of Asia, uh, Asia Minor. And this particular church in Ephesus, this is what Jesus says. This is red letter editions. It says, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's not just a church in Ephesus. That's a church at Hillcrest. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying. Not these ears. Spiritual ears. To everyone who conquers, the one who overcomes, that's the word nakao. To everyone who conquers, now how are you going to conquer? You're going to give up and you're going to be baptized in Jesus Christ. And He's going to raise you from the dead. You hear that? That's the only way you can conquer. It's not following 613 laws, good Jew. It's about receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Right? To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Remember what happened in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden? Because of their sin? And now here in Revelation chapter Two, the promise is everything comes full circle, right? This was God's plan all along, even knowing what we would do, even knowing that Adam and Eve would eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. To everyone who conquers, to everyone who overcomes, to everyone who receives Jesus Christ and makes him their righteousness, he will offer this great blessing. Now let's fast forward a couple more chapters in Revelation. Chapter 21, verse 3. We're nearing the end of the Bible, right? Here's what it says. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. Genesis 1 and 2, like we talked about last week, God would create, and every day He would say, And it is good. And there was morning and evening the fill-in-the-blank day. After day six, he creates mankind, and it was very good. And then we all messed it up. But here, we've come full circle. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. They will walk in the cool of the day, just like they did with Adam and Eve. God's in the business of restoration. God's in the business of reconciliation. God's in the business of raising people from the dead. 
thinking of a text in Ezekiel where the prophet is called out and looks, and there's a bunch of dry bones. And God tells the prophet to speak to the dry bones. Weird. Ezekiel's weird anyway. But sometimes God's message seems to be weird. And as he begins to speak, first he speaks to God and says, can these bones really live? And as he prophesies, as he's obedient, then there's this rattle that takes place. And there's this sinew being placed on the bones. And then all of a sudden there's flesh that comes and is placed on these bones. And there's these living beings. That's the God we serve. Chapter 22, the end of the Bible. We started in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We saw Genesis chapter 12 where God's a missionary God. And here's the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the, river, is the tree of life. Tree of life. Genesis 1 and 2. Tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. God's in the business of restoration. God's in the business of reconciliation. God's in the business of healing. God's a missionary God. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. The Bible authors tell us when we're baptized, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Catch that for a second. When you're baptized, you can get wet all day but not be baptized, right? Right? <laughs> but when you're truly baptized, God places this seal upon your head, right? And we talk about these saints. Finally, verse 5, And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they... They... The saints. Isn't that crazy, right? As messed up as we are, as screwed up as we are, as sinful as we are, this is a missional God. This is a God on task of mission saying, love God, love people, love by going. Love God, love people, love by going. Love God, love people, love by going. You're going to hear it over and over again because it's not my message, it's God's message. Love God, love people, love by going. Love God, love people, love by going. And they will reign forever and ever. Now let me ask you this as I close. This is not about being religious. This is not about going through the motions. This is about receiving your marching orders. The promise of Jesus all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 was not just for Abram. 
His was for Isaac. It was for Jacob. It was for Israel. It was for David. It was for the church. It was for you. It was for me. The same message all along. God's not going to call us to do anything he doesn't call himself to do. And that is love people, love by going. So I wonder this morning, is that the Jesus you know? I mean, it's one thing to know about Jesus, but we're talking about knowing Jesus. It's one thing to appreciate. I, there was an author several years ago now that said, you know, there's a lot of fans of Jesus. There's a lot of people that would be like those people when he came into Jerusalem who would wave the palm branches and say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know, you, you've probably been to a football game or something like that, and you cheer for your favorite team. There's a lot of people that do that for Jesus. But we're not talking about being fans of Jesus. We're talking about being followers of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? He dies on a cross. That's not the end. He rises from the dead, and then he tells the church, go. Go. So will you do me a favor? If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to talk to you before you leave today. If you don't know Jesus, I pray today is the day of salvation. If you know about Jesus, man, my prayer for you is to quit knowing about Jesus and really fall in love with Jesus. Do what he says. Do what he does. And would you, would you allow me this, and then I'll pray and we'll be done. Don't, don't sell us out. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you're just in it for you. If you're just going through the motions, if you're just gathering on a Sunday, if you're just singing a few songs that you like, if you're about the warm and fuzzies and you're not about any other things that Jesus calls us to, please don't call yourself, you may call yourself religious, but you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't mean that to sound harsh, but I think that's the truth. We want followers of Jesus Christ. He wants followers of Jesus Christ, not just fans of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.